With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we are joined by Cade Cole, college baseball modeler. You can find Cade on Twitter at CadeCole7. Today, we're talking about college baseball betting. Let's dive into the sharp side and look for the right angles in sports betting. Big bomb, bomb, bangers. Ladies and gentlemen, bangers and Gentiles, sharps and squares. Welcome back to episode 26 of 90 Degrees, the show where we discuss the right sports betting angles. I'm your host, Kevin Davis, and today we're bringing on Cade Call, college baseball betting analyst. But before we bring on Cade, we want to give a quick thank you to our sponsors over at Pinnacle Sportsbook. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sportsbook and is now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the bettors play, taking sharp action every day. No limits, low synthetic holds, and it's a must-have for bettors with a top-down approach. Must be 19-plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Sally, it is not available in the United States. Cade, what's the word? I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners your journey to becoming a college baseball better as opposed to other sports? Okay, so um, I started, I, my first gambling deal was about nine years old when I had my family taught me how to play uh, five-card poker at the house. So I learned pretty quickly percentages and like numbers and all that at the table and just met with the bookie around high school, about sophomore year. Just got my ass handed to me for (laughs) years. And then I finally decided that I, I mean, if I wanted to keep doing it, I had to do it right. So I just dug in, got some work done, and figured out how to beat college baseball. And that's what I've been doing. And uh, it slowed down recently over the years of since, like all college and all that. I haven't had as much time to really, I don't know, like actually analyze everything like subjectively. It's more just numbers-based now, and I would say a lot of my betting now is just from spank odds, just reading the screen, you know, and I still I still do college baseball. I still get down on it, but not as much as I used to. So in terms of getting down in college baseball, are there issues now with the regulated sports books now taking up college baseball, uh, or is it more because of your life schedule? More because of my life schedule. Like, I don't, I ain't betting enough to really worry about getting limited. Except, I mean, Barstool's an exception, but like on DraftKings, I can get enough for me personally. I mean, I'm broke. I'm in college. I, I ain't getting that much down on it. But 
DraftKings, uh, FanDuel, they'll, they'll all take enough of what I need to get down. So, but most of it, most of my problem is just with school and everything and work going on. I mean, that's crazy. You can still get down at DraftKings, but not Barstool because DraftKings, in my experience for Asian baseball, I mean, once I was like doing a little bit well, betting a hundred dollars, uh, just to be completely transparent, it was like, now I can't de- get down more than $60 on have you ever tried to bet a college baseball game at Barstool? Yes. Um, Would they? Have- I was actually able to get down. Um, I do have a secret for getting down at Canvy Books. Not going to expose it right now. Um, you may be, but in terms of the college baseball betting, I don't know if you're familiar with Johnny Venezia. Um, he is a big Twitter guy, great dude, podcast host, but he's huge in the college baseball betting now. And I saw early on some of his picks were getting closing line value in March. And I was like, all right, this guy's on to something. That, that's pretty good. My, my picks normally don't. I bet late. So I like, to, I like to watch and see where the line's going just because I don't – I mean, I don't have the time to look and scan Twitter and all the college baseball sites to see if there's injuries or lineup changes, all that. So – I run it with the starting lineup, I run my numbers, and who the projected rotation is, like on that day. So Friday is going to be your best guy, Saturday, et cetera. And then um, if I, I usually like to see the line movement, then I'll go check that stuff. And if my numbers agree with it, I will try to play it. I, a lot of times I will play that negative. Like I will play the line after it moved if my line still agrees, just because I know the information's right, even though it's not necessarily the best of the number, I will still play it, if that makes sense. Have you seen any head fakes in the college baseball market where the line is moving the wrong way because Sharps know the other side is better? Not that I can think of. Do you have an example? So an example I gave shows back is CFL, huge CFL better. And I was looking at the injury news of a quarterback situation with one team. And once I saw the announcement that a player wasn't practicing, uh, I was like, all right, I got to bet on the other team. But then I saw as soon as that news came out, people were betting on the team with the injured player. And it was moving in favor of the opposite way it should have been going. And I had negative CLV and then the game started and my injury news was correct. So that would be a yeah, head fake is when betters yeah. are manipulating the lines. I would, I, I don't, I doubt that it happens in baseball. I, I have never seen it, but I also haven't been on screen enough to really, to really pay attention to it, if that makes sense. So like it probably happens. Not much. There's I doubt it. No, there's not that much information out there for college baseball. Who are the market makers for college baseball? Like if a book moves, who are the other books that copy them? Um, circa, circa for the most part, uh, Lovig, Lovig's pretty solid. Um, that's about all I know. I guess jazz, you could say jazz. I think they take 500 ish, 500 a pop, but nobody really. So that, that's interesting. What about in terms of whether to pick a money line or a run line? Cause one thing that attracts me about these college baseball games, which makes you want to dive into it is 
you'll have a lopsided matchup and the choice can be a, a like a juicy uh, money line or like a four and a half run line. Right. So I used to a year or two ago play strictly money lines. This year I was doing it and getting crushed because the game has changed. So everybody, all these teams, they build around guys that hit homers. It used to not be like that. It used to be you trying to steal bases, hit doubles, get them in, whatever. Now, not so much. Like if you watched LSU play this year, they hit four home runs a game and they'll, they'll win by – they either win by eight or lose, you know. It's just different game now. So if you have anything, I would say like 180, you're better off playing the run line. If, you, if you're showing value on your numbers, whatever you're almost 100% better playing run line than money line, if you can get it. A lot of these books don't even offer run lines. Yeah, a lot of what I've been doing uh, when I was trying to do some college baseball was I'd look at multiple different books. And if I see, like, they all have the same money lines, but one book has a run line that's one run higher or lower than the consensus. And then seeing, you know, what the juice comparison was. Because I can see a lot of situations where you have a dominant team, they're blowing out the other team, and they're not putting their best relievers in at the end of the game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but how do you, how do you factor that in? You know, how can you? How do you know that? It's almost impossible. So, I would always say play less juice. Always, if you if possible. I mean, you know, if the juice is, you know, high, high EV, I think it's great to play. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But it's almost, it's almost too late in season. If that makes sense. Well, right now, yes. Yeah. Let's talk about those early season non-conference matchups. Yes. Oh yeah. The minus five and a half, minus six and a half for sure. (laughs) Now, how do you determine you know, players normalize stats when the quality of their opponents are much more varied than professional baseball. Yeah, that's, that's tough. But what I do, so I just break it down. So what I do, I, I don't, I use priors. That's just my whole model. Okay. So I use priors based on the head coach and their record and all that. And then on their past season, as a team. Okay. And then I adjust those priors as the season goes on. But what I adjust with is the, and now I don't know if I do this right at all. It's just what works for me. It makes sense to me. I adjust with the last three series games they've played. So based on how they've played in those last three series, I, I've just adjust the whole power ranking for them. And then whenever they play, uh, I don't know, like when a midweek game against some small school, then you just, you got to use your series, your series games. Cause that is when they're playing their best guys against that, even though they're not playing their best guys. So does that make any sense or did that not make <laughs> so I have more of a team-based model than a player-based model? Yes, more way more of a team based and starting pitcher based. In situational bet based, not just on the starting pitcher, but on the lineups as well. 
if you have access to that information, yes, it's hard. It's hard to get. I mean, I figure some of these teams, they tweet their lineups one hour before the game. That's what I've seen for Asian baseball. Yes. But the key is getting those lines, translating it. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. But I don't, I mean, I'm not sitting there on Twitter looking for all that. I, I just, I don't have time for that. You know, I kind of have to play off of what I got. Play with less information and maximize what I know off of less information. I mean, that's certainly one of the pluses of Spain Gods is that you can let other people do the work of originating and then watch out for those market makers and pounce yeah. on the slow books. Right. But with college baseball, I don't know who the market maker is. I don't know if there is one. They just move this. I don't know what they move on, if I'm being honest. I mean, it sounds like Circa's a market maker if they make a move and everyone's eventually copying their number or going in that direction. But everybody, so, I mean, for the most part, everybody has the same number on college baseball. There's not too much difference. It's not like other sports. So there's it's almost just like no liquidity in it. So that's why I say low VIG because they, they probably have the lowest VIG in their lines for college baseball compared to most. Like Caesars probably takes more on a bet, but and they'll move, but they'll be minus 190 and plus 120 on the other side. It's like, it's unbettable. Really? They're going to have a 70 cent line? Sometimes. Not always. Not on like an SEC game, but if you got Campbell playing, I don't know, whoever, they'll, they'll have it. Campbell, the fighting camels. <laughs> Two of my <laughs> friends used to play women's volleyball for them, and they were shocked that I knew their mascot name. <laughs> but once you nerd out on college sports, you know everything, and people just drop their jaws. They're good this year. Baseball, they're good. All right, off the peep them a lot. <laughs> um, how do you, what sort of information sources do you look for besides the line movements to get college baseball news? Uh, I listen to a couple podcasts on it, and I mean, everybody, I, I pretty much just follow SEC stuff more than mm-hmm. anything else just because i'm an lsu fan so i like um so there's all kinds of stuff on sec baseball it's a lot harder to find on pac-12 baseball or big 10 baseball like nobody really watches that so i don't know for that i don't i, I don't i kind of just stay away from those games for the most part i mostly bet on these sec matchups and some acc so for the podcasts you listen to, are these uh, news information podcasts or betting podcasts as well? Yeah, they're kind of like an entertainment betting deal, but they got good stuff. They do the work. They they know more about everyone in the country than I do. Just it's more in, in entertainment purposes. But occasionally you find some nuggets of useful information in the entertainment podcasts. I do, I do. Yes, sir. It's not like watching First Take, where it's entertaining, but there's nothing to help you as a sports better. <laughs> Sit there, waste your time, listen to them yell at each other. No. That's why I call it Bravo for men. Because without sports, it's basically Bravo, but with men. If you watch ESPN. Pretty much, pretty much. That I mean, all of them are now, it seems like. 
I mean, that's what the people want. Now, is it though? I mean, if people are watching it, are people actually watching that stuff? I always wondered that. They Gotta mean, be. They've been airing forever, but man, I can't. I can't watch. I mean, it. I think if you look at the ratings of First Take and the morning shows versus Daily Wager, I haven't looked at it, but I'm willing to wager that no pun intended. Uh, much more people are watching the talk shows than Daily Wager. Now, you have all this news information, you're following it, you stick to only SEC games, but do you sometimes feel like even though it's only the SEC that you sometimes have an itch to do more games, uh, or the 14 teams just enough to follow on their own? I think that's what the SEC is at in terms of teams, 14. That's about right. Uh, yeah, I do, but say, like same time, I don't, I don't have time like I used to because I'm in, I'm in 21 hours right now at school. Um, I'll be taking summer classes, so just and I work mm, three or four days a week, ish, and just I don't have the time to to follow all that. I wish I could, but at the same time, if after you like actually dig in and bet on something for a good a good amount of time which i don't know what a good amount of time is to you but a year that's that's to me that's a good bit for one sport if you're really watching it every single day and digging into the numbers and all that and you burn yourself out quick you start to hate the sport and that's kind of how i've gotten with college baseball i watch sec other than that i i can't even hardly watch it it's just then it's not good baseball it's really not. I mean, even most of these SEC schools, it's not good baseball. That's always how I feel about college basketball. Yeah, I, yeah, same way. Exact same way. It's You're a league I don't feel that same way because these guys are legit. They're grown-ups. They're good. And they can ball. They're borderline NBA, a lot of them. But college basketball with the jacking up of the threes. Yeah. Yeah, it's same, same thing. So... I mainly stick to SEC. That's what I know best, and it's the best to watch. But it's pro- also probably the best number out there. So, do you focus on live betting? I mess around with it. I don't know if I have an edge when I do it or not. The only way you could really do it is if you knew, if you were like watching and you saw a player go out or you heard on Twitter or something a player went out, and if you knew the value of that player, you could crush it. But if you don't have all that information and like at, at your fingertips, it's very, I would say it's very hard to live bet it. I mean, I guess if you have like a pitcher go out of the game, everyone's going to know about it. Right. Right. Which I don't so know if you would have to look for the position players. I would do it for the position players too. I feel like that's almost just as important as a, probably not just as important, but it's pretty important for, for some of these teams. Like, um, have you heard of Dylan Cruz before? He, I don't know a name of a single college baseball player. I know a name of one coach, and that's it, and that's Tony Gwynn. <laughs> okay, well. I think he's still coaching. Who's he coaching for? San Diego? San Diego State, I think. That's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know he went into that. But some of these players, for sure, you, if like if our catcher went out, catchers in college baseball are huge. Because there's some that are extremely good and can mow guys down on the bases and keep everything in front. 
And there's some that are just hard to watch. Like I don't I don't know how they made it there, if I'm being honest. But it is what it is. I mean, catchers are the most important defensive position in terms of variation for Major League Baseball, I'll at least say. So I remember when the Yankees traded away Gary Sanchez. And I projected that it wouldn't be much worse with their replacement at catcher, even though the catcher was a lousy offensive player because the catcher was strong defensively. Right. Yeah. And I put in the uh, defensive run saved. Yeah, that's kind of like the new thing now in MLB, it seems like. Um, It used to be like you want the guy hitting 30 home runs, hitting 220 a year, you know? But now it seems like they're going back to the – they want the the defensive guy. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just like the defense too because I don't even know if defensive run saves accounts for uh, their pacing of the game with the pitcher. Yeah, I didn't think about it. And the emotional support they give. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Because they're basically like a player coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, that Jan Gomes for Cubs. I think that's uh David Ross's guy. I mean, he's basically another coach on the team. And look at the Cubs this year; they're doing pretty well. So, how do you like sort of analyze catchers in college baseball in terms of figuring out if a team is like doing a catcher on a rotating basis, how that's going to affect the game uh, defensively and in terms of pitch management? Well, it's kind of hard to value them because. When you're looking just at numbers and box scores, if you're looking at wild pitches compared to pass balls, you have no idea. I mean, if it's a pass ball, it's going to be very obvious. But a lot of these wild pitches they give them, they're not wild pitches. They're very they're, they're catchable or blockable balls. So you just have to, to mix them together as the same thing. So if the pitching is allowing a ton of runs because of that, or the catcher has a ton of pass balls, you just kind of have to value it the same way. And, mm. I mean, you can't win games doing that. You cannot. You can't win it if you're playing 10-year-old double-A travel ball doing that stuff. It's never going to work. So in the SEC, you're definitely going to get beat 100% of them. I mean, I, is it a variable that can turn a team that's supposed to winning win by a lot into a loser just because of the variance that comes in from fastballs? Mm, uh, well, I'll give you an example. I don't know that. I have never ran numbers 100% on that. But um, LSU played South Carolina at South Carolina a couple weeks ago, and they had their number one pitcher going. I had money on LSU, whatever. But two errors, a pass ball, and a walk. Only two runs scored off of it, though. And then next dude comes up, bases loaded, two outs the whole time while this is happening. Two outs, and dude hits a grand slam. And it's like, I mean, it's a total game changer just because of you're allowed three bases and one and one hit. One hit off of three, base, three free bases, and it's four runs compared to possibly just a one run or just an out, you know? It totally changed the entire game. And now that pitcher stats are completely they're I mean, they're kind of skewed because of it. Just because I mean it's a lot easier to pitch. It's hard to it's hard to explain, but when you're when you're pitching and say like it's a lot harder to pitch with a rhythm if you guys are making errors behind you. Or if you gotta pitch and try to be perfect or you're Because the mental game. Right. So you can't really focus on just doing what you do 
without when you got to focus on everybody else. And it just I think that's what he got in his head. And he left one over, and that was it. It was game over from there. Just because of that. Now I'm all, I'm already thinking of like so many angles from our conversation, but one I just thought of in terms of analyzing uh, defensive performance or performance in general is instead of looking at the runs on a box score to kind of come up with the expected runs scored based on each play and say, okay, this inning had this, this amount of expected runs. Oh, that would, so you kind of look at the, the score in terms of expected runs versus two teams. That would be huge. But again, getting access to data like that may be kind of tough. There's always a way. Oh, there's always a way. You might have to pay a little bit, but... You have to do some programming. And you have to do some scraping. Yeah, yeah. Who says you have to pay for certain data when there's box scores out there? So you find the box scores, scrape it into a spreadsheet, build something automated. Then you try and um, I mean, that's get the play-by-play play data. That's currently what I do, but it's it's not fun. I wouldn't advise it for anyone. Unless you really want to. I mean, I wouldn't stop you, but... <laughs> it's not I mean with the advances in AI scraping's getting easier oh yeah for sure yeah I mean that's the only way I can do it but certainly at the scraping of the box score data but also if you can combine that with scraping of play-by-play data so for each play you say right. this was the expected runs at this play right I would look if you're going to do something like that I would look heavily into like amount of pitches thrown per inning because so i mean especially for i'm i'm just thinking specifically these weekend series so on these weekend series the the best guy's going to throw friday that is that is your dog he's going to go and they're going to let him go as long as he can the teams that make them throw pitches and just are hard outs are the teams that are hard to beat like this Skeens guy for LSU, I, I keep saying LSU, just, that's just who I watch most of the time. But sometimes he'll throw 70 pitches through five. Sometimes he'll be at like 49. And when he's at 49, you're almost unbeatable. They're just giving him outs on three pitches. You can't – what is that, about three yeah, three pitches in? You can't – or no, nine pitches in. Three pitches a batter. You almost can't – you almost can't beat a guy – if he's that good and you're just giving him outs like that, it, mm. it's not really a quality at bat for the other team. And you're not going to win many games doing that. And then I would look at walks allowed and errors, basic stuff for the most part. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I love about baseball betting is finding situations where players overperformed and underperformed. So if you see like a pitcher is getting killed, but he's barely throwing pitches per inning, that could be a good sign. Right, or nothing's getting hit hard, stuff like that. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I'm just thinking, like, if you have a starting pitcher who's mediocre, but they have a talent in that they can last really long, keeping the relievers off the field. Like, that's something I looked for in a lot of the Asian baseball leagues where you have terrible bullpens. And you have a mediocre starting pitcher, but the starting pitcher has shown... Um, you know, through his past performances that he has the potential the last seven innings. Yeah, that that would be huge. I could, I, you know, part of his value is not in terms of being really good, 
but keeping worse players off the field. Yeah, I can see that. Most of these college teams, though, I would say they have about one to two pretty good relievers. They like most of them almost got one or two dudes that can come in and throw. But after that, it's <laughs> put whoever you want out there. It, no, no do you think the do you think the umpires are doing a good job of um, determining which plays are errors or not? Oh no, no, they they give these guys hits. Be, like I know, especially in pro, I don't know so much college, even though I should. But I know pro, they give them dudes hits for nothing. Like just because it's so hard to get hit in the pros, I, I understand where they're coming from, but. A lot of these plays should be errors, and they're not. They're hits. Like uh, that Cubs game, the the base hit that was that ruined the perfect game. Did you did you see that? No, but I can only imagine it. Okay, so the dude was going perfect. It was eighth inning, and it was like a little dribbler down the line, and catcher runs into the pitcher as he's fielding it, about to make a throw, and they graded it as a hit, which I guess the pitcher didn't really make an error on there, but come on. It's not a hit. It's a, it's an error pretty much all day. And they do the same thing in college for the most part, but it's not as bad. They will give errors. But there's also a lot more errors made in college. There's not so many errors made in pro baseball. Yeah, I mean, any sort of like lower-level baseball, you see a ton of errors. And it's like, huge. I went to a Staten Island Ferry Hawks exhibition game this week. All right. And they're not even minor league. They're like an independent league. And the errors, I felt like I was went to an adult softball game. Because he would have grounded a third and they would overthrow it. Yeah, it's, just, it's hard the to player watch. player would be on second. It's hard to watch. Hard to, hard to see that and think these guys are still playing. Ball so, ball. you know, that would be rated as properly as an error. But then the next play would be an infield single. Which, you know, I guess is not really an error because there wasn't anything wrong in the play. But you know that someone who's a skilled fielder would have got him out. Right. Yeah, right. That's. I mean, that's exactly what happens in college. I mean, how do you grade that? In my mind, it's an error. But these umpires, it seems like they like to give them the benefit of the doubt. Infield. I mean, it's, it seems like if you're running a successful college baseball team and you're doing recruiting for pitchers, you might want a high strikeout pitcher because they're putting fewer balls in play. Depends. How many pitches is he throwing to strike guys out? Mm. That's what I would look at. Because, okay, think of um, Garrett Cole. Dude throws. Now, when he deals, he deals because he only throws probably about five pitches per batter. And he gets a lot of strikeouts. But when he's throwing seven to eight, man, it's tough. It is so tough to go deep into a game and just consistently beat guys. It's hard to do. And at the college level, it's it's even more of an impact because it's not pro guys, right? So a college pitcher is not going to beat a guy like Garrett. Like Garrett Cole can beat people, you know? The Mets are really good at making guys throw a ton of pitches. That's why they're going to win a lot of games. It's just it's what they do. They're good hitters. I mean – LSU does it to a lot of people. That's how they beat a lot of people. You don't always have to hit it hard, but if you can just battle and battle and battle, you will you will come in on top 90% of the time. How many players are allowed to be on a college baseball team? 
I think the roster is somewhere around. I know COVID years was more, but now it's something like 10 pitchers and 20 skill players, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, because part of me think, what if you just like use a um, an opener system like the Rays and just have a ton of high strikeout players? So they can tire themselves out, but you can keep keep the rotation going. Yeah, if if the Rays told me to do something and I was coaching, I'd do exactly what they said because they know what they're doing. They seem to always win every year, no matter who they have. Now, on the hitter side for college baseball, if you're building a team, do you want hitters that can make it a back go really long? Oh, yes. Yes, because college pitchers aren't good enough. They're just not... They're not good enough to consistently beat you, in my opinion. They're just either that or they go pro. Like, well, you know, you can't go pro out of high school anymore, can you? Did they change that or no? You can't. I don't remember. But you can. You can. I believe. But, yeah, the, the good, the studs get drafted out of high school. So these pitchers are, they're they're very good. I'm not saying they're not good, but. I mean, I couldn't hit them, but they're just not – they're not – like nobody is unbeatable is what I'm saying. Mm. College pitching. Pitching is extremely overvalued in college baseball, I, I would have to say. Now, if you had to choose between a batter who is a power hitter, who either hits home runs or strikes out, or a batter who gets base hits, or when he gets outs, he puts the ball in play and doesn't get strikeouts. Which one would you rather have? Uh, you got to go in more detail. So the guy that's hitting homers, how many pitches is he having good at bats? I mean, I'm just thinking of a guy who's swinging at the first pitch, like a Vlad Guerrero, a senior. Okay. That's the differentiate now. There's a junior. It's a senior. Because <laughs> I think I'm a little bit older than you. So Vladdy's daddy in his heyday. God, I can't believe I just said that. So Vlad, <laughs> Vladimir Guerrero Sr., he used to always, like, swing right away. It could be, like, a terribly thrown ball, like, below his knees, and it'd be a homer. Well, I mean, you got that kind of bad speed. You got that kind of bad speed, and you can just bat control. I'm taking that guy. That's his talent. Also, I would like to know what pitches they're swinging at. If they're swinging at first pitch, is it fastballs they're swinging at? If so... Keep them coming. Keep swinging. Keep hacking. Because if you can hit like that and you can run into them, say you run into two out of four, you may you may still go 0 for 4. Who cares? You hit two balls 110 miles an hour. I mean, you're going to win games with guys like that. I'd take that guy all day. Now, obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. is an exception. I'm thinking more of the players who randomly would have a 40 home run year. And then the rest of their career, there would be a pinch hitter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'd take them. If they're good enough to make it to the pro to pinch hit, I'd take it. I mean, and then, you know, I was thinking, are those players better than just a guy who can grind out at bats and he's not going to hit for power, but he's going to make contact and not strike out just on the chance that uh, the fielder will have an error or they'll get a base hit? That's a pretty good question. I never actually thought about this, but you would probably want a little mix of both. I would say probably 
you want six guys that can just battle. And then you would want your top three, top four that can that can hit them out. Because you're going to have to be able to score runs, especially how it's played now. Everybody's got a guy that can put it out. Uh, it's almost – a lot of these dudes playing college baseball now are they're 6'3", 6'4". It don't matter if you're a catcher, you're a pitcher, or a third baseman. They, they can't play the field. They can't move, but they can go up there and they can take a hack. So they're going to play. You know, they got the bat for it. And that's just name of the game now. It's just how, how you win. You got to hit more homers than the other team, and you got to outpitch them. Because hmm. part of me is also thinking if I were a college baseball recruiter and I was looking at high school players, I'd say, okay, is this like the type of guy who can make contact and get on base if there's an error? Like give us that little extra eight edge to just keep putting people on base. Yeah, I mean, it, it would all depend on what you're looking for. But if that's what you wanted, there's plenty of them out there. That's the problem. There's not many guys that are 6'4 and can hit nukes. There's just not in the world, you know. Everybody can find that scrappy guy that can just fight out at-bats and stuff. But can you find that guy that can do it at the SEC level? That's a whole other question, and that's hard to find. And if you can find the guy that can do both, I mean, you got the you got the number one draft pick. Now, with the College Baseball World Series coming up pretty soon, uh, what sort of angles are you looking at for uh, College Baseball World Series, especially with the games having higher stakes and the limits being higher? Um, definitely, like, conference by conference. So you got an SEC team, even if they're, say, Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's if they do make it, they're a lot better than most of – whoever's going to make it. They're going to be better in Oregon State if they make it. I don't know. I don't know how Oregon State's doing this year. But SEC is going to mop the floor this year if in the World Series. Them and um, probably Wake Forest. Wake Forest can play. I would, I would just match up conferences. And depending – you would have to do a little bit of work, though. You would have to be able to say, like, yeah, this is a little short of a line for an ACC team against a Big 12 team. You would have to be able to determine that. And a lot of it, you'd have to know the starting pitcher, for sure. And if you think you have somewhat of an edge, I would play it just because that conference has – it's just that much better athletes per conference. It's kind of like an ACC football team playing a, a Pac-12. You just – they're going to kill them. But everybody in football already knows that, so it's – yeah, but then the question becomes, would a Vanderbilt kill a UCLA? It's not always the top team yes. from both conferences. Yes, I, I would say so. This year, yes, for sure. Now, UCLA in the past, they've they've had some pretty good teams. Well, it meant for football in terms of that. Guy. Oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't mean for baseball. Like oh, uh, I said, for football, football okay, the SEC is better than the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah. Would a Vanderbilt be, be the UCLA? I don't know. I don't watch too much UCLA or Vanderbilt football, but I would. I would well, have UCLA to. is usually decent, and Vanderbilt's usually not that good. Uh, That's why I, I love the first month of college football. So all I gotta say is the first month of college football. I love it because it's those types of tough questions, right? You know, will a mediocre team from a tough conference beat a tough team from a Power Five conference, and what what would the spread be, and what should it be? 
Right. I remember that um that Georgia Oregon opener game mm. last year. You remember that? Yeah, of course. I mean, everybody was betting on Georgia or uh, Oklahoma or Oregon because they shouldn't be sixteen point dogs by the numbers, but come on. Georgia's gonna run with that score. Like they're just so much better athletes in, in the South than out. Okay, but back to um I want to talk about that World Series thing. So you the hot team is the team you gotta ride with. If the team uh, how to find it, I don't know. You you just gotta work and do numbers on it. That's the only way you can can find it. But it seems like every single year there's a team that just got these scrappy guys and pitching's right, everything's right, they're making every play, everything's just falling their way. It's just how baseball works. It's you're not always the better team is not always going to win. That scrappy team is going to beat you. So if you can figure out that team, it, a lot of it's an eye test for me. You you got to do some numbers on it, but like a lot of it is eye test. You can just see it. You can they know how to win. They want to win. They play good baseball at the right time. They're they're going to make it far, and a lot of times they're the dogs. In terms of the eye test, how do you watch all these games since they're going on concurrently and frequently? I mean, you can watch three innings of a game and be able to figure it out. If if you knew baseball, you can watch probably two to three innings and be able to figure out who can play and who can't. I I just I've seen it so much. You just know, you just it's something you know. It's it's a feel. It's a I don't know how to explain it. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of eye test betters out there who will focus like, a lot on some of the qualitative aspects that I'm many sure, of the um, will miss. Like Bud Elliott, he can do that. He can watch probably a quarter of football and tell you every single guy on the line who can play, who's a dog on that team, and who can't, who can run, who can't. He can tell you everything. He's just seen it so much. It's a, it's a feel thing. And now he might be better explaining how he does it, but I, I kind of like that with baseball. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about uh, using some sort of qualitative analysis in baseball. Yeah, I, I don't want to. Because you think of baseball as like a quant-heavy sport because he can isolate each at-bat and pitcher. Yeah. But it's just a, it's a feel thing. Like you, if you're watching and you see, say you see a team and – Pitchers got five strikeouts. Okay, whatever, through three innings, whatever. But they're having eight pitch at bats. They're fouling balls straight back. They're taking good cuts and they're swinging like they're on time. You can just tell, even though that pitcher start is beating them, you can just tell it's not going to last long. You just get a feel for it. It's like a, it does, it just doesn't work. It, not for a while. Now, do you think the live betting algorithms that sportsbooks use? Uh, how well do they do at keeping track of all these factors, um, you know, that you're watching for? For college baseball? and Yeah. Like specifically, you know, I'm sure they, they look at pitch count, but are they looking at like the quality of the pitch selection of the batter? See, I, I would know. I haven't, I haven't really done much of that. Like I never even thought about it till we started talking, but, I'll look this year for sure. (laughs) 
outlook during World Series specifically because they're going to be a lot better in the World Series, I would imagine. But, like, right now, it's kind of hard to bet live college baseball on a legal. I, I haven't really seen much of it. But, I mean, the VIG is so much to overcome, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it. Because part of me is thinking, like, usually when you have a live betting model of any sort, you say if a team is this much of a favorite and this is the margin that they're up or down by, what percentage chance do they have of winning? And then you add a juice and you let the betters do the sides. And if you see some sharp action, you kind of move it a bit. And I can see if you find a qualitative factor that affects the game that is not baked into that model, since the model is based on the closing line before the game, you can find some opportunities. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, but how you could turn a qualitative factor into a number is what I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I got, I know I know what to watch. I know what to look for. But if what makes them a difference between minus 150 or minus 180? I don't know. Like, I don't know how you would mathematically do it. I'm sure there is a way somebody could do it. But I'm not that good math-wise to do that. I have no idea how you would do it. And there's not really like a statistic on what I'm talking about of like foul. Like when do you ever see on a play-by-play ball fouled straight back, just missed it. <laughs> you know, it's not like a thing. It's just something you, you see, something you feel. It's, uh, but I don't know how to make a number out of it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you certainly bring up good questions. Sorry, what? No, you're in. You're you're bringing up good answers for you know what you would need to do to make the next step. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a hard question to answer for me. I, I don't know how you would do. It. I'm sure there is somebody out there that could do it, but I really have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe somewhere out there listening to this podcast knows how to do it. We say, <laughs> okay. I'm good with numbers, but I know nothing about college baseball. This Cade Cole guy, he's pretty sharp. And he's not as good with the numbers, but he knows some factors in college baseball, some variables that have been thought of. Let me give him a call, and we'll work on something together. Because nothing truly happens in sports gambling through an individual vacuum. You have networking at events like BetBash and Twitter. Yeah, I've I've been very fortunate to meet with some some guys like you, um, through through Twitter and uh, Vegas Horsepool, good dude. Yeah, are you are you going to be at Bet Batch three? I will not. I'm <laughs> I'm in college. I got to work all summer and just no. I wish all I could. Right. Love to make it. Are there any more thoughts you have uh, to let our listeners know before we shut down for the episode? Uh, yeah, one thing. So. Um, I know everybody that's sports bed and whatever is fun. It's great and all. And everybody talks about how you should have your money intact before you start. If you're looking to get into it and all that and do it the right way. Yes. That doesn't really need to be said in my opinion. Main thing is understand what you're going to sacrifice and the time you're going to put into this to do it right. Because you're going to lose some things and make sure you keep your, your physical health intact because it 
it, I mean, it, it wears you down sitting at a screen all day looking at it and it, it will catch up to you. So make sure you are, you are staying, you're keeping what, what matters to you before you start. Did that make any sense? Am I saying completely? This? Okay. Keep what that even matters. if you do all the work to win, it could like right. be negative on your life. Right. You're right. Still have a life EV for sure. All right, Cade, thank you for all your thoughts on college baseball and good luck in your future endeavors. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. The easiest way to improve as a sports bet is to use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today for free. If you're looking to sign up for a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Big bomb, bomb, bangers. Thank you for tuning in to 90 Degrees, presented by the Amber Betting Network and Pinnacle Sportsbook. Head over to our website, thehammer.bet, for all your sports betting needs. If you've enjoyed the show, click the like button. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. If you made it this far, please drop a comment on your favorite college baseball World Series future. Let's cash.